Well, good morning and welcome to our live stream. We're delighted that you have decided to join us and we pray that uh, you are healthy and well and that um, you are coping well with the lockdown. Our Bible reading this morning uh, comes from 2 Samuel chapter 9, starting at verse 1. I'm going to read the first 10 verses. So 2 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, verses 1 to 10. You might like to have your Bibles open because I'll refer to some of the verses in this passage here. Um, So just reading now and it says this, David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He's at the house of Machias, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought down from Lodabar from the house of Machias, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to him to pay honour. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. You will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? And the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, son of your master, will always be at my table. Mephibosheth. Who has a name like that? Who calls their child Mephibosheth? I mean... It's a difficult name and even to abbreviate, like you couldn't use meth or fib, that wouldn't work as abbreviations for his name. It's a tricky name. Mind you, there have been people lately, particularly the rich and famous have used some unusual names for their children. Uh, Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone, for instance, called his daughter Sage Moonblood. Um, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow named her daughter Apple. Maybe she was the apple of her eye, I don't know, but... And then there was an actress called Busy Phillips who had twin daughters and she named them Birdie and Cricket. Strange names. But perhaps the strangest of all was David Bowie who named his son Zoe. So Zoe Bowie was his name. Unusual name. But regardless of his name, the story of Mephibosheth has a lot to teach us, I believe, and to encourage us in this time of challenge. And I also believe God was leading me to this story because I think it's a good way to conclude the series that Brent has been been teaching us on about the kingdom of God and being ambassadors in the kingdom. So uh, let's come to this story and see what God can teach us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for all that you have blessed us with and that you are still watching over us regardless of what's happening around, that you're still in control, that you're seated on the throne. And as Lord, we come to this story, we pray that you'd open our hearts and minds and spirits to understand what you might be wanting to teach us. And we commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2009, uh, there was a story in the US papers uh, about a man called Charles Mumbray. 
Now, Charles had been born in Africa, but he'd spent most of his life in the US, and for much of his working life, he was a nurse's aide. Uh, he had to work two jobs um, a week just to survive and to pay the bills. Um, and he was uh, just a simple nurse's aide working with elderly people and people with disabilities. And for a long time, he struggled uh, just to get through life. But at the age of 56, he had a, a, a communication from the king of Uganda. And the king of Uganda was saying that they had found out that he was in the line of one of the kings of the Ugandan kingdoms. So there was a series of kingdoms in Uganda and he was in line for one of those. And the king had died and they wanted him to come back and assume his place as the new king of this part of Uganda. Well, he accepted and he went back and uh, took his position as the king of this section of the, of the kingdom and was installed there and uh, took on all the trappings and the wealth and the privileges that had. And so he'd gone from a very simple, poor man, unknown, to someone of significance in a very quick space of time. And his story really sums up what happens to Mephibosheth. You see, Mephibosheth was the grandson of King Saul, the son of Jonathan. And he was living in the palace and had all the privileges that a prince, a young prince, would have in a king's kingdom. Until the age of five, when King Saul was killed and so was Jonathan and all of Saul's other sons. And if you know the story, Saul had been chasing David and pursuing him and trying to kill him. In the end, there was a battle and Saul died and so did Jonathan. And so Mephibosheth was the only remaining uh, member of Saul's family, relative. And we read earlier on in chapter 4 of 2 Samuel that when Mephibosheth's nurse heard what happened, she panicked um, because I guess she assumed if there's going to be a new king, generally what happens when a new king comes, they eliminate all members of the family so there's no claims to the throne. So she assumed that Mephibosheth was in danger and so she grabbed him and she fled from the palace. But in the process of fleeing from the palace, uh, there was an accident, she maybe fell or whatever, and Mephibosheth ended up being lame in both feet, <coughs> unable to walk. We read that she took him to the town of Lodabar. Lodabar means a place of no pasture or communication, so it sounds like it was probably a fairly barren place, out of the way. And he lived there um, for a number of years in obscurity, uh, in exile, crippled, most likely in poverty because if he couldn't walk, he wouldn't be able to work. Um, and a pretty sad ending to a young prince, really. But the story doesn't end there. <coughs> Excuse me. Because we read in uh, chapter 9, uh, the very first verse there, that David asks a question, is anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? <coughs> And this happened because David recalled a promise that he had made to Jonathan. Um, earlier on in 1 Samuel, we read that um, he'd made a promise to Jonathan that he would care for the members of Jonathan's family. And so David remembered this promise. <coughs> and after he had um, established his kingdom, and they think it might have taken... 12 to 15 years to get his kingdom established to make sure it's in control. 
He then recalled his promise and then he went back and he asked the question of his servants in verse 1 of chapter 9. Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? And the servant Ziba said, yes, there is. There's this person called Mephibosheth living in the town of Lodabar. So David summons Mephibosheth to come to his um, palace because he wants to meet him. Now, I don't know what Mephibosheth was thinking. I don't know what was going through his mind, but I can only imagine he was probably very fearful. Um, maybe he was thinking this is going to be the end for him. The king was going to kill him or at least uh, imprison him so that he could no longer be a threat to the kingdom. So I imagine he must have come with some fear and trepidation. He had no way of escape. He was crippled. He couldn't walk properly. So I just, in my head, I have a picture of this young man. He was probably in his 20s hobbling on crutches, poor um, and fearful, coming into the palace to meet the king, the new king. But to his surprise, uh, David says this in verse 7 of the chapter, Don't be afraid, David said to him, for surely I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And so David reassures Mephibosheth that he's not going to punish him, he's not going to do anything to him, in fact he's going to show him kindness. And he goes on to do a whole lot of things for Mephibosheth. He says he can come and uh, be in the palace for the rest of his life. He'll be taken care of. Mephibosheth's response is very humbling. He says, well, what is your servant? In verse 8, that you should notice a dead dog like me. Why did David do this? He didn't have to. He was the king. He could do what he wanted. He didn't have to take notice of this obscure person living in the far reaches of the kingdom. But he did. He showed him kindness and really it's a picture of the, the grace that God has shown to us as well. You know, we were like Mephibosheth, we were exiled from God, cut off from him because of our sin. Sin had crippled our lives and we had no future, no hope. We're living in poverty of spirit and God in his grace um, showed us kindness. He came to us through his son Jesus Christ to restore us and redeem us. And that's what David has done to Mephibosheth because he wasn't worthy of any of this. He wasn't qualified and, and David didn't ask that question. He just said, is there anyone? And none of us are qualified to be rescued by God. None of us are qualified to come into God's kingdom. None of us are worthy. In fact, there was only one who was worthy and that was a person we read about in Revelation chapter 5 and I'll read a couple of verses about this person from verse 1 then I saw in the right hand of him who sat at the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside I wept and wept, that's John, and the context is he went on weeping, it was a continual weeping. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep, see, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders." 
And he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat at the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp of golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. That person, of course, is Jesus Christ. He was the only one who was worthy to open that scroll. And the question is, what was it in that scroll that made John weep and weep continuously with great distress? Well, it doesn't tell us exactly what's in there. The commentators believe the scroll scroll contained uh, God's plans and promises for this planet, this earth, this universe. And in it would be the unfolding of all that he had promised about his kingdom, about victory, about um, rescuing us from sin, and all that that means, the fulfillment of all that he had planned for us as God's people. And so John was weeping because because if no one could open the scroll, then none of this could happen. Um, Sin couldn't be dealt with, the kingdom couldn't come, etc., etc., But Jesus, the perfect Son of God, the Lamb who looked as though he had been slain, as is described in Revelation, he died and rose again for us, was the perfect sacrifice. He was able to open the scroll. And he has brought in the new kingdom of God. And he has made it possible for us to move from being exiled from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And this is what happened, if you like, to Mephibosheth. He was taken from a remote place in the kingdom and brought in to the new kingdom, David's kingdom. Billy Graham tells a story about William Herschel. Um, Some of the facts have been disputed a bit, but I'll tell it as Billy Graham tells it. And apparently William Herschel, as a young man uh, in 1756, joined what was called a seven-year war that was being fought. And he fought in this war for a while for his country, but partway through he decided he didn't want to be in this war anymore and he deserted, knowing full well that the punishment for desertion was execution. And so he took off and he went on his own in a remote part for a while and was not known much. But later on he began to take up astronomy and eventually he became quite a famous astronomer He discovered the planet Uranus and he did it as the first person to discover a planet with a telescope. And so he was quite well known and um, respected at that point. And the King of England heard about him and invited him to come to meet him (coughs) at the palace. Understandably, Herschel was pretty worried because he thought if the King finds out that he deserted, he might be in big trouble. He could face execution or imprisonment. Well, the story goes, and on the way, a messenger arrived from the king with an envelope. And he gave it to Herschel and said, "Um, you have to open this before you arrive at the palace. So Herschel received this envelope, and he would have been pretty anxious. What was in there? Was it his punishment, etc.? What was the king going to be saying to him? But he opened the envelope, and inside he found a pardon, an official pardon from the king. And so when he arrived at the palace, the king said to him, now that you have your pardon, we can get on with your life. I want you to live in the palace with me. I want you to be my official astronomer. 
So my question is, have you received your pardon? Have you received from Jesus forgiveness and restoration into his new kingdom? It's available. He offers it to you. Um, It's a free gift, a gift of grace. All he says is that you should repent of your sin and receive him as your Lord and Saviour into your life. Have you received your pardon? Well, maybe at this time of quietness and lockdown, it's a chance if you've never really come to faith in Jesus, and this might be a chance for you to do that. Now, I encourage you to think about that. If you've never given your life to Jesus and received your pardon from him. You see, if that happens, there's amazing blessings that come with being um, in fellowship with Christ and being a Christian. And we read about some of this as we go on with the story of Mephibosheth. You see, David didn't just pardon Mephibosheth and send him back to his village. He said, no, I want you to be in my palace and to live here for the rest of your life. And there was a sense in which David was taking him from his old life and bringing him in to his kingdom, David's kingdom. And when we come to faith in Christ, that's the same sort of thing that happens for us. We're taken from the kingdom of darkness and we're brought in to the kingdom of God, the new glorious kingdom that Jesus has brought in through his death and resurrection on the cross. But more than that, David said to Mephibosheth, you can eat at my table. You will always eat at my table. So David was also providing for Mephibosheth as well. He was providing for his needs, that he'd always be eating at the king's table. So he was in the new kingdom and he was now eating at the king's table. He was being connected with the king of kings um, of that country, the king of that country. And the same for us, we come into the kingdom and now we have a connection with Jesus continually as a, as a part of his kingdom and, and being in, and in connection with him. One thing I didn't mention was that Mephibosheth was not actually his original name. His original name was Mirabal, but when he went into exile, his name was changed to Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth means son of shame, son of shame. And so, as I said, he was living in poverty and exile, crippled and ashamed, really, of what had happened to himself. But now, taken from there and brought into the palace and sitting at the table with the king, that shame has been removed, if you like. And it's the same for us as God's people. When we come to faith in Jesus, he takes away the shame of our sin. He gives us a new way of living. He restores us to the sort of people he created us to be in relationship with him. But it was more than just that, because... Um, if we read in that chapter 9 and we go on to um, verse 11, it says, um, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. So in a way, Mephibosheth was really adopted into David's family. To eat at the king's table was to be a part of the family, if you like. And he was like one of the king's sons. He was now adopted into David's family. That's remarkable. This was someone who had no um, rights to anything under under the king David. 
And yet David had taken him from obscurity, put him into his palace and now made him a part of his family. And God has done the same for us. When we come to faith in Jesus, we're in his kingdom and we're also members of his family. We're adopted into his family. Why does he do that? Well, it's purely grace. You know, it's not that, that we loved him first because it tells us in 1 John that um, uh, we love because he first loved us. It's not that we were particularly good because Romans 3.10 tells us that uh, no one does good, not even one. We're all sinners. And it's not that we've done great things or great achievements. Ephesians 1, 5 and 6 makes that clear as well. It's purely grace. Uh, you don't have to have done anything to be accepted by God, to come into his kingdom, to be loved and forgiven by him. And if you're thinking you're not worthy or you're thinking you've, your life hasn't been that good and God wouldn't want to accept you, listen to this gospel story. It doesn't matter. You can come to Jesus as you are just as Mephibosheth did. He was crippled and lame and poor, but David accepted him. You know, when David said, is there anyone who uh, still left? He didn't ask, was there anyone worthy or anyone good enough? He didn't ask how bad his injuries were. That didn't matter to David. He just wanted to bless Mephibosheth. And it doesn't matter what our past life has been like, what we've done, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you a pardon. I'll accept you as you are. That's grace. That's the wonder, the glory of God's grace. Well, even more than that. So at this point, he's been forgiven and pardoned. He's come into a new kingdom. He's living in the palace for the rest of his life. He's been able to sit at the king's table. He's now been made a, a member of the king's family but even more than that what does David do he gives him an inheritance and um, he says um, in verse 7 says to him for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan I'll restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul and you will always eat at my table so he is now going to restore to Mephibosheth all the lands and the property that had belonged to his grandfather King Saul. He was giving him an inheritance. And as God's children who have been redeemed and uh, brought into God's kingdom, we have an inheritance as well. Romans 8, 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We are joint heirs with Christ. We have an incredible inheritance that's going to last forever into eternity we're going to share in his glory and that's something we can't really imagine and so all this is from God this is um, a description of his incredible grace and blessing to us who haven't deserved any of it and be in mind that we didn't ask God for this because we weren't aware of our situation and how bad our sin was and what it was doing to us it was God who came to us through Jesus. He pursued us. He sought us out, just as David did. Mephibosheth didn't come ask, asking David for help. David pursued him and sought him out and brought him into his kingdom. And God has done the same for us as well. And in the end, we too will sit at the king's table. Luke 14, 15, Jesus said, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast 
in the kingdom of God. There will be a great feast again in heaven for all those that have come to faith in Jesus. We will sit at the king's table as well. (coughs) So, what does this mean for us as far as a response? Well, there's a number of things we should think about. And, And our response doesn't earn us more favour with God or salvation or anything. Our response purely should come out of gratitude for what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. One of the responses would be um, a deeper level of love for those on the outer. You know, in David's time, if you were um, a widow or if you were an orphan or if you are blind or lame or poor, you'll often shunned. Um, people thought maybe God was punishing you and people didn't so much care for, for people in those situations. But David did. He didn't care that Mephibosheth was lame and couldn't work and couldn't walk and probably couldn't contribute in any way to David's affairs. It didn't matter. David accepted him for who he was. And I guess our challenge is the same, to reach out to those who are on the outer. Don't wait for them to come to us. Show them love and kindness as God has shown to us and, and mirroring what David did for Mephibosheth. Before I started my role at the church here, I was a teacher and I was supporting students with disabilities. And I remember early on that the leadership of the school made a decision that we were going to try and accept every child with a disability who applied to come to our school. Because it was at a time when often schools didn't feel they could support students with disabilities and many were turned away. Um, but we decided we were going to embrace these children and do whatever we can and invest whatever we could to provide resources and means of supporting them. Um, some people were doubtful about that. They thought it might bring down the standards of the school. They thought it might give the school a reputation that people wouldn't want to come to the school. But actually, it, it was a reverse. Um, we had full enrolments. We had lots of people wanting to come to the school. And um, the reputation of the school was enhanced because it was seen as a school that cared for people. Um, and the academic levels were still very high. And, and I believe that happened because it's God's heart to care for those who are in need. It's God's heart to care for those who are on the outer. And if we embrace that, we're embracing his heart. And um, in my role, I had the incredible privilege of interviewing families who might apply to have children with disabilities to come to the school. And I interview them, and we talk about the issues and whether we as a school could support their child. And in nearly every case, we did. And I had some amazing moments where I was able to say to these families, we would love to have your child in our school. And, And the surprise and even the emotion on their faces was really something to see because... They had not been wanted in many other cases, but here was a situation where they were actually wanted and embraced. And I think it's the same for us as God's people. We should have the same sort of attitude because it's God's heart to reach out to those who are struggling and in need. And, you know, we've got a program where we're supporting women coming out of prison. And our prayer is that some of these women will want to come to our church or to a church. And I hope that you know, we as God's people will embrace them and love them and reach out to them and make them feel that they are wanted, not just tolerated, but wanted and welcomed. Another thing is to be generous. 
you know, um, David was incredibly generous to Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth hadn't earned any of this. Uh, it was one thing to forgive him. There's another thing to provide food for him, but to make him a part of his family, to give him back his inheritance, <clears throat> all that was overwhelming generosity on David's part. And God has dealt with us the same. He has been incredibly generous in pouring out his love and grace on us. And so much of what we have and all that we have really is from God. So be generous. Yes, when you are generous, sometimes people may take advantage of that. Well, Jesus had something to say about that in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 40. If anyone wants your shirt, give them your coat as well. You see, we live in a society where we value material things very highly. And they're important to us. But Jesus is saying, no, there are more important things than material possessions, much more important things. And he's trying to encourage us to think about life in a different way. And being generous is one of those. One of the families I had to support when I was teaching was an elderly couple who had um, was given the care of their grandchildren because they had been in a neglected situation. And after a month or so, they came to me asking for help and they said, look, we don't know what to do. Every time we go into their rooms, we find food hidden everywhere, hidden in drawers and cupboards and under the bed. And we've got plenty of food in the house. They don't need to do that. We feed them well, and yet they're still hiding food. And I said to them, well, that's a response to their past. You know, they didn't have much food for a long time. So when they see food, the immediate reaction is to store it up in case they won't get any later on. And for some people, you know, their life has been a struggle. And so when we are generous, they might take advantage of it, but it's a symptom of their past. Let's not let it stop us from continuing to be generous as God's people. And take the initiative. David took the initiative with Mephibosheth. He reached out to him. He searched for him. He looked for him. He brought him in. He didn't wait for Mephibosheth to ask for help. I remember a few years ago, we talked to the mayor of Playford and asked him, what some of the biggest problems are in Playford. And he said, one of them is that there are a lot of provisions for people in need, but they don't access them because it's embarrassing to keep going asking for help and support all the time. He says it would be better if we were able to actually reach out and offer the support to the people that need it. Let's take the initiative. Let's offer people support, love, care, and the things that they need. And be humble. David was very humble, just turning back a couple pages to chapter 7 of 2 Samuel. In verses 18 to 22, David says this, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord, for the sake of your word and according to will you have made this great thing and made it known. You have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. David was very humble, even though he was a king and had all the, the trappings and the glory that went with that, he realized that without God, none of this would happened, would have happened. And so he was humble. And we should be the same. We should not judge others. We should not look down on others. We should realize that all that we have is because of God's grace and nothing to do with us. So be humble. So as we strive to live as God's kingdom people 
in the community, as we strive to be ambassadors. Maybe there's some things in Mephibosheth's story that can help you and prompt you and remind you about the way God wants us to live. These are all things that we do in response to his grace and mercy to us. And I want to finish by reading from 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 3 to 5, which sort of summarise some of this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So what about you? Have you received your pardon? Have you experienced the blessing of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness in your life? Well, again, if you haven't, this might be the time to do that. It's available. The pardon is there before you for you to receive through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for all you have done for us, for the incredible demonstration of grace and mercy and love that you have shown to us on the cross and all that that means for us. And help us, Lord, as your ambassadors to live as you have called us to live so that people can be drawn to you, not because so much of us, but because they see Christ in us. They see your love demonstrated through our lives. And so we just pray these things and commit them to you in Jesus' name. Amen.